If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. We are one of the most cost-effective producers uh, in Canada and still using very sustainable methods uh, of growing. And if you're not using or have an eye on sustainability over the next number of decades, you are going to be a dinosaur in agriculture. And it doesn't matter who you are, how you're growing, you have to be better than what you're doing now. How do aquaponics work and how can this be used to support a more sustainable future in agriculture? What are some environmental issues from the medical cannabis industry that we should know? And how can we best support it to move in a healthier direction? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To check out our limited 2019 Green Dreamer planners created to holistically support all that you do this year, just head to greendreamer.com. Your purchase will also support the planting of 50 trees and the continued production of Green Dreamer. So thank you so much if you get to find something that you love. We're on this later along with a discount code just for you. But for now, on to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Green Relief, which is a licensed producer devoted to bringing innovation and social responsibility to the medical cannabis field through the use of aquaponics. They essentially combine aquaculture, which is raising fish, with hydroponics, which is soilless plant growth. And in doing so, they're able to organically simulate a balanced ecosystem in which their plants can thrive. After graduating from Mohawk College in Hamilton, he became the third generation to join their family business, Bravo cement contracting, where he later led the business to become the largest concrete floor finishing company in Canada. In 2013, though, he took a leap of faith in leaving the family business to establish Green Relief with co-founder Steve LeBlanc, where they're now on a mission to help patients improve their quality of life while furthering the science of medical cannabis and sustainable agriculture around the world. Green Dreamer starting off with what inspired his passion for nature. Here's Warren Bravo. Sustainability and, and being in nature is, I guess, is part of your personality. And, you know, realistically, you, you grow to appreciate that over time. 
as you grow in life. But uh, I have no problems with being uh, in tune with nature. My wife is a landscape architect and uh, she's the, uh, I would say, the, the tree hugger in the family. So she rubs off uh, on me every day with the uh, eco and sustainable side of life and living. And we certainly get inspiration off of each other. So I would say uh, Lynn is probably my first inspiration in dealing with the sustainable side of uh, life and living and our venture every day. Is there anything particular you learned about the unsustainability of agriculture that made you want to focus on sustainable agriculture today? Oh, absolutely. There's a, and, and it goes back, the big tipping point in our lives is when we first bought our farm. So about uh, 12 years ago, when we bought our 50 acres of property here in Flamborough, Ontario, we didn't know what we were going to do with the land, and there had already been a farmer kind of using the property. And when we moved in, we didn't, uh, I didn't, it's hard enough to make a living as a farmer, so I didn't uh, want any anything monetary from this guy, but I wanted to see the, the land being used. And the first year we were here, he was growing a crop of soy on our 42 acres of arable land. And he mentioned to me after he'd planted uh, that over the next number of weeks, I'd see a uh, he belonged to a co-op, so I'd see somebody in the backfields kind of spraying the crops and uh, getting rid of the weeds in the field, etc. It was uh, about, I'm going to say six weeks later, I'm watching the weeds grow in the field and kind of definitely overshadowing the soy that's coming out of the ground. That was about four inches at that time, taking my dogs for a stroll around the property. And, and then I see this uh, spraying of a tractor come and and start spraying all of the fields. And I thought, wow, that's really gonna uh, be detrimental to the to the soy that's growing because the, you know, the next day, over the next uh, few days, all of the weeds, uh, the herbicide that they used, it just decimated all of the weeds in the field. And I thought, well, that's not gonna be very good for the crop. So I asked the farmer, as I watched the weeds die progressively over the, that week, the soy, green, vibrant, healthy looking, strong, wasn't affected by the spraying at all. So mm. I asked the farmer, I said, well, you know, what's, what's with the soy that it wasn't affected by this, this herbicide you guys sprayed on the field to get rid of all the weeds? And he said it's called Roundup Ready Soy. So it's it's been genetically modified to be resist the, the chemicals in, in the Roundup. So it, it just it's kind of a bit of a rude awakening when you see you can spray these harsh chemicals and, and uh, lots of plants will die, but some will survive. It just goes to show you how our food chain has been, uh, you know, modified so uh, drastically to be able to risk, resist chemicals and GMO and, and everything else that goes with our food supply these days. So that was the real the real shock. And, and Lynn, my wife, has always been a huge proponent of sustainable uh, agriculture and uh, had an interest in it. So, you know, wondering what we're going to be doing with our 50 acres, you know, after we stop the farming activities and and I would retire and, and figure out what we were going to do with the farm after that. It was going to involve some type of sustainable agriculture and we just didn't know what it was going to be at that time. So was it kind of seeing how we're messing with the ways that our ecosystems and nature inherently function that was concerning? Without question. W without question. That's just, you know, that's soy. Never mind corn, wheat, any of the other basic staples in life and everything else. Let's, uh, tomatoes, we can throw everything, every vegetable in there. You know, everything's been modified to resist chemicals, resist drought, uh, resist disease. Uh, it's a disaster out there from uh, heirloom varieties of plants and, and uh, vegetables that we consumed or I consumed when I was younger, I would say, to uh, the evolution of where things are now. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty scary out there. That's so ingrained into modern life, though, right? Yeah, well, we're being forced to accept it, unfortunately. So, And try to find an heirloom variety of anything to be able to plant in your garden and, and have that nice big heirloom tomato that's the size of your fist kind of thing. And uh, everything looks so so beautiful, but it's just void of all the natural qualities that you uh, want in, in a piece of fruit or vegetable. So, yeah, I think it's a, certainly a big negative, that's for sure. 
Well, I want to dive a little more into the research on sustainable agriculture later, but for you, I'd love to hear. So uh, after graduating from college, you actually first joined your family business, Bravo Cement Contracting, and you helped that to become uh, the largest concrete floor finishing company in Canada. What inspired you to go from concrete to medical cannabis and starting Green Relief? Well, it wasn't so much the uh, medical cannabis that was my interest. What interested me was our my, my trip to Holland a couple of decades ago. So as a, a company focused on pouring uh, commercial, industrial, and concrete floors, we went to Holland. My uh, uncle, my cousin, and my Windsor, our Windsor office, uh, myself, we uh, took a trip because we'd heard about this agricultural technique called ebb and flow floors in greenhouses. And what that is, is a concrete floor in any uh, traditional greenhouse, but they're flooded with the nutrient solution. So it gives you the ability to uh, grow plants in rock wool insulation or in pots in a greenhouse on a floor where you're flooding the entire floor with the nutrient solution and then draining it. And then, uh, you know, the drained solution would go to the next bay and the next and the next and the next all the way through the greenhouse until it's kind of centralized in your fertigation system, reintroduce uh, uh, any of the uh, components that's lacking. And then a few days later, the same thing happens again. So we were really intrigued with that system and all of our advancements in greenhouse technology and, and science usually comes out of Europe and Holland specifically where they're very advanced in their agricultural techniques and greenhouse production methodology. So we took those concrete floors because we're in the business of pouring floors. So we now have poured square miles and miles of, of concrete floors and greenhouses using this ebb and flow technology. And it was my thought that when I retired out of the concrete business that I would probably build a couple of greenhouses on the property and just have some hobby or farm gate type gardening uh, greenhouse structures that I could grow vegetables for our family and and, uh, anybody else who's interested in, in buying them and using this flooding floor technology. So that got my interest peaked from the concrete world in agriculture. So it was a very, very cool process. And, and I'll tell you that the people in Holland really have done it right and well in that department. I'd be walking through these uh, 100,000 or a million square foot greenhouses and you could shoot a cannon in there and nobody's around. Everything's so highly automated and processed and they really have a handle on their cost of goods when it comes to uh, growing and production method. We learned from that system and actually the inventor, Peter Van Veel at that time of that ebb and flow technology took us around to a number of greenhouses using this these ebb and flow floors and I just thought it'd be very cool to be able to utilize it myself for our own personal retirement. I just couldn't stop getting up at five o'clock in the morning for uh, almost 30 years and, and uh, watch over and eat bonbons. So I, I knew I had to do something when I retired and that was our plan. I'm trying to visualize how that works. So you mentioned the ebb and flow system. So yep. is that like nutrient rich water being poured into one place and then drained into another or? That's correct. So what you have multiple 20 foot bays usually in a greenhouse. Uh, so we pour a concrete floor with a very slight slope to the center of that bay. So in about 10, over 10 feet, you're sloping the floor just a little bit. And that's where the techniques from a concrete contractor uh, comes in because the floors have to be very flat, all those slopes, because what you don't want is ponding of that nutrient solution underneath a pot where you're going to get potential algae and, and other uh, potential biohazards as you're growing your crop. So the floors have to be very flat but lightly sloped by about a half an inch to the center of the bay where there's a series of holes or a drain running uh, continuously through the center of the bay. So the nutrient would come up and be pumped up through that center holes or drain, flood the floor with a few inches of this nutrient solution, much like a hydroponic scenario where the, your blue water or, high, or highly fertilized waters are uh, flooding the plants. 
and then it drains the same way it came in. So just by some pneumatic valves, you can reverse the flow, have it drain back into that center center uh, drainage pipe that you've installed, and then that would act, just go into the next bay, the next 20-foot bay, and then the same nutrient solution would flood the next bay, and then mm-hmm. so on and so on right through the greenhouse. So it was a very uh, unsophisticated way of providing nutrients to your plants, but you can get a whole lot of plants in a 20-foot bay by however long your greenhouse is. So it was a really efficient way of growing plants in a greenhouse. So then you were learning about agriculture through this. What got you into medical cannabis? We just saw an opportunity in a space that was basically only limited by your imagination. So you could be, you know, in the cannabis space, you can be as big or niche or small, whatever you want to be. And we just wanted to take advantage of an opportunity. We thought, uh, you know, how often do Canadians get to take the lead in any global (laughs) venture? We're usually behind the the Americans or the Europeans on anything that's uh, this big that the cannabis industry has turned out to be. So we saw an opportunity at the end of the day, Steve and I are capitalists. And we just, as you say, we saw an opportunity to be able to uh, advance a a new industry and hopefully uh, make a couple of dollars on the way. So initially you had successfully grew your family business into a leader in its industry. What was the biggest learning lesson you took from that that you brought with you to support Green Relief? Yeah, there's many, many, many <laughs> life lessons. But the, the, the big one for me is uh, I learned a long time ago not to sweat over things I can't control. In the construction world, you can't control weather. Things happen, scheduling, and the cannabis world is much the same. Uh, there's things you can control and you focus on those and there are things you can't, such like waiting for responses from the government or that I'm in an indoor growing environment, so I don't have many variables in my grow, but just kind of focus on the things you can do and uh, and be successful with and the things you can't and are out of your hands, then uh, don't worry about them. And today, Green Relief is the only licensed cannabis company in the world growing using aquaponics. For those unfamiliar with how this works, can you walk us through this process? Absolutely. Um, uh, aquaponics is basically a, a symbiotic relationship between fish, water, and plants. It's the same ecosystem found in any freshwater lake that lily pads or bulrushes are growing. In our system, we feed the fish. The fish will create a solid waste. That waste through a series of mineralizing tanks, clarifying tanks, uh, bioreactor, uh, off-gas tank, basically water flowing from one tank to the next, to the next, to the next converts that solid waste into NPK for the plant. So nitrates, phosphorus, potassium, some micro macronutrients, uh, basically all of the, the nutrients you get in the soil outside are provided by the uh, fished waste converted in this recirculating system. So I have the water flowing to uh, a series of rafts. In my case, they're approximately 50 feet long by eight feet wide where the roots of the plants and the plants are floating on a, on a styrofoam, a piece of styrofoam where the roots of the plants are just uh, hanging in the water, sucking those nutrients out of the water, the nitrates especially, and then returning the water directly back into the fish tank. So it's a closed loop recirculating system. And I'm only, or I'm sorry, I'm using uh, 90% less water resource than any other form of agriculture uh, used in the world today. And the thing is uh, for plants grown in soil, I know that there's a lot of microorganisms in soil that support the health of that ecosystem. What do we know about the microorganisms involved in like aquaponic systems? 
same as in soil. You have the aerobic bacteria. You have uh, all kinds of heterotrophic uh, bacteria in the water because it's uh, produces. It's a very natural source uh, of uh, fertilization, much like putting manure on a on a soil to increase nitrates. Uh, basically, the fish waste uh, converted is doing the same thing to my plants. Now, uh, nitrates over 400 parts per million will be detrimental to my fish, so I have to have root mass in my water cleaning that water and taking those nitrates out of the water before returning it back to the fish tank. So it's an eco balance we've actually achieved, but we get the same microorganisms uh, in uh, this deep water culture because of the natural fertilization process that you do in a soil grow. As opposed to hydroponics, we'll say, where it's a very sterile grow and you may get some, something, a, a byproduct or a, a product out of a hydroponic grow that, that has a very nice aesthetic, but I think it's void of a lot of the uh, full spectrum of nutrient value you can get out of that plant because of the sterility in the system, because mm-hmm. it's not doesn't have all those micro-macro nutrients that aquaponics or soil grow can uh, provide. So I, I, you can get something that looks beautiful hydroponically, but I think uh, you've probably had a, a hydroponic tomato in your life that you bite into and there's a lack of juice and it's mealy and it's uh, tasteless. Equating that to cannabis, I think, is the same. You have that age-old fight with uh, cannabis growers, uh, what's better, hydroponic or soil grown? And now aquaponics is uh, in the mix, but soil all the way. What do we know about the difference between plants or crops grown from sterile systems like hydroponics compared to ones with rich, like microbiotic populations? You know, I I think uh, plants need all the micro and macros that are in uh, soil. They need that. uh, They need those bacteria, those aerobic bacteria, as I just explained with the uh, with the sterility of a hydroponic system. Now, I don't have any science or, or, or information in front of me, you know, regarding the the major differences. But I do know that hydroponics lacks many of the micro macronutrients because you're using a, a commercially fertilized blend of, of liquid nutrients and your hard surface area to water surface area the it won't allow for the bacteria to culture the good aerobic bacteria to culture to be able to, to help with any of the uh, micro macronutrients in those types of systems so I just think you get a far superior product in soil or an aquaponic grow so essentially aquaponics it really mimics like how a fresh lake would function. So it has the entire spectrum. Correct. When you see, you know, bulrushes and, and the most important part of, a, of an ecosystem like freshwater lake where you see we're supporting uh, uh, life vegetation, uh, much like an aquaponic system, the most important bacteria is called nitrobacter. And it's the uh, nitrification of the plants. It's cre- it converts that ammonia, bacteria, waste, uh, CO2 waste, uh, mineralizing uh, into a nitrite just like an ecosystem done and it's the nitrobacter converts that nitrite to nitrate in an ecosystem that's why you see vegetation growing by shorelines and usually in shallower water because nitrobacter is more prolific in warmer water than colder so why you don't see bulrushes and vegetation normally out in the middle of the lake you always see it up by a shoreline same thing in aquaponics we've just commercialized an ecosystem basically and uh, figured out the science behind it and made it work to support not just vegetables but but now cannabis as well are there any pesticides or chemicals used in this system no no, we don't uh, have any topicals or additives to our to our system other than fish food. This is obviously a really awesome concept, and you are the only company doing this in the world? Well, I know we're the only company globally doing it on this scale. We are expanding, uh, and, and we'll have uh, acres of uh, aquaponics growing cannabis within the next uh, 18 months. Right now, we're growing in a 30,000-square-foot facility. 
I know there are some home use uh, people who have small home built do it yourself systems and are probably growing a small number of plants aquaponically, but they're even very difficult to find. The only grower I've seen to do anything on a commercial scale, and he kind of uses a different system. He doesn't use the deep water system that I do, where he's growing in media beds. So he's pumping his converted fish waste into a media bed, which is comprised of uh, a raised bed off of the floor filled with aggregates. So he's pumping in the nutrients on one side, and uh, the nutrients are being fed, and the bacteria is growing on his medium, his rocks, or whatever he has in his system. Just the increased surface area for bacteria to grow on is what's required with aquaponics, and he's doing it kind of a, in a media bed application. But he was still only growing probably 30 to 50 plants uh, at one time, where we have thousands in our system. And at this point, what's your biggest struggle in building up green relief and really sharing this concept with more people? It's not so much a struggle in in uh, on the aquaponics side. I think you know we're the veterans in the industry. We we started almost four years ago with uh, vegetables in the system before we were actually licensed to be able to grow cannabis. So we had a lot of knowledge gained just from the growing of the tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and and onions and beets and herbs and everything else we grew. So we got a lot of knowledge and data from growing those plants on balancing our ecosystem. But most importantly, before we grew cannabis, we also grew hops indoors on our rafts. And we just had our plants growing horizontally across the rafts, 20 foot long vines, and trying to balance the system to be able to give the cannabis plant all the nutrients it needs. Hops are the same family as cannabis. So it was the closest thing we could grow in those early stages and the trial stages to be able to uh, balance the nutrients in the system to be able to support the growth of a, of a cannabis plant. So we're, we're the veterans in the industry as far as growing unique plants in uh, aquaponics. We're still doing research every day Every room that we're growing, there's some R&D project. We're collecting data, whether it's lighting, whether it's uh, nutrients in the water, parts per million, stocking densities, flow rates, uh, water temperatures. There's all kinds of things that we're experimenting with daily just to enhance now from the basic path of just achieving a plant. Now we're trying to make them you know, bigger, better, faster, stronger. It sounds like you have to oversee a lot of different aspects because it's quite a large operation. What does it take to make sure that all the pieces are in place so that this is a healthy way of growing all these Yeah, understood. Crops? No, I, I get it. That's a, that's a great question because uh, a lot of people don't, kind of don't dive in that deeply into what we have to do to maintain the ecosystem. And to tell you the truth, it's, uh, it's not a difficult thing. Once you're there, once it's established, once you have figured out how much root mass you need in the water to keep that water clean for the fish and keep the algae down and the other things and all done very naturally. But it took two and a half years for us to be able to grow cannabis aquaponically and, and try to figure that out. Uh, we'll just say the startup of the system is, is not for the squeamish. So uh, you can't just <laughs> p plop, uh, you know, four tanks of 800 gallon tanks and say, put your uh, whatever your stocking density of fish is in those tanks and throw plants in and expect them to start growing. It's very slow starting a system. It's not like, you know, a, a pot of soil and a little plant, a vegetative plant that you can put some miracle grow on and all of a sudden it'll start growing. We have to wait for evidence of nitrate. So we're only actually stocking half a tank with the, half the stocking density of one tank looking for evidence of nitrates in the water before we can start balancing and growing the vegetation that's in that aquaponic system, then stocking more tanks. And it's a gradual system. It actually takes about eight months to ramp up an aquaponic system from filling your system with water, putting fish in it, and then starting to go. So it sounds like in the beginning, it just took patience and trial and error to get to this stable state that you're in right now. 
Absolutely. Like I said, starting up an ecosystem or starting up an aquaponic system, it takes time and it takes know-how and takes uh, patience. What are some environmental issues from the cannabis industry you feel like most people don't know but should know? Well, I think everybody knows what they should be doing. The fact that people are more interested in the bottom line stops a lot of people from taking these green initiatives because we all know that most green initiatives require a lot of capital up front and you don't see recapture repayment of those uh, capital expenditures for a very long time. So as I said earlier uh, in our discussion that, you know, it's a lot easier just to get a uh, pot, put some soil in it, put a clone or a, uh, some propagated plant in there and add some fertilizer and, and let it grow. People are more interested in this industry right now, are more interested in monetary results than uh, sustainable results. And we found a way to be able to balance both because, you know, at the end of the day, all of those people who are commercially fertilizing their plants have to pay for those fertilizers. Mm -hmm. You know, I pay for fish food uh, and uh, my fertilizer is created naturally. So we are one of the most cost effective producers uh, in Canada and still using very sustainable methods uh, of growing. And if you're not using or have an eye on sustainability over the next number of decades, you are going to be a dinosaur in agriculture. And it doesn't matter who you are, how you're growing. You have to be better than what you're doing now. A thousand watt high pressure sodium lights should all be converted to LED lights. The you know energy consumption has to be reduced. Power from a power standpoint, water resources are, are a shrinking natural resource as we know. And I think our next global conflicts are going to be over water rights on a global scale. And I, I think we really have to do better, all of us, and even even us, even though we're we're the sustainable guys in the in the marketplace now. We're always looking at ways to, uh, to, to be better and, and try to work towards that zero carbon footprint. And it's a huge lack of uh, focus in our industry. And we're trying to get the message out there. There's a better way to do things, cost-effective way to do things, and still have the environment as a, a prime concern and, and focus on your uh, commercial operations. So that's what we're trying to do. And any way we can get that message out there, we're huge proponents of, of doing that. And is there anything we can do as individuals to support the cannabis industry or just agriculture in general to shift more quickly to sustainable ways of doing things? Well, first, you can buy your medical cannabis from Green Relief if you want to support <laughs> a, a really good, solid, uh, sustainable company. And medical, uh, I use uh, because we are a medically focused uh, company, helping people with the medicinal value of this plant and, and helping the planet with our sustainable uh, methodology. But Social media platforms these days are very strong and very relevant. And I got to tell you, the, the millennials now have very strong voices out there in the world. And I got to tell you, that generation is more focused. They have, a, I guess, a, a much bigger heart than baby boomers and the Gen Xers who came before them. They really want to focus and deal with companies who are giving back in some way. And giving back is a big deal for us, whether that's the environment or whether that's the people or however you feel like you want to give back. Our ability to be able to communicate just in general terms through uh, social media platforms, I would say, would be the largest impact in getting the word out that there are more sustainable ways of growing. But there's a ton of advocacy groups out there who, who know this is happening, who are big voices in, uh, in agriculture and helping to be part of that uh, solution with less GMO and less uh, fertilizers and less uh, topical additives to, to plants. So just keep talking about it. That's all I can say. And going beyond agriculture, what do you think we need most today to accelerate towards a healthier, sustainable planet? Uh, well, I, I would say uh, we would need cooperation from the traditional uh, farmers more because they're one of the largest 
groups that have a big voice in what you know the governments do from a regulatory standpoint i think promoting farming is a something we should be doing i mean food sovereignty for for canadians is is an important topic in in ottawa but they have a very strong voice and they're very uh, opposed to change they think that you know all farming has to be done on dirt and, and you need big tractors and big combines and big equipment and and it's very hard to change people in general terms are opposed to change and uh, farming has been something that's done and passed down from generation to generation. And I think that's a big problem. And uh, right there, those voices uh, getting the governments on board to start regulating it. And I, it's going to be a, a challenge. You know, as I said, everybody's opposed to, to changing their methods. And it was easy for us because we didn't come into the industry with any preconceived notions on how you have to grow anything. We based all our decisions on science and watching what other people are doing and seeing what they're doing right and wrong uh, and if uh, asking people if they could do things over again how would they do it differently and you know if we based all of that feedback on what we've done here so people need to get out there find out what reality is find out what they can do to advance the sustainability in their own farms and I think that will just kind of spread out through osmosis and I, I think it, it'll happen but it's just going to take time and it's going to need the governments to cooperate and get those messages out and start legislating some of these issues moving forward. So be unafraid to question the status quo or the traditional ways of doing things. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to get And if you're not basing your uh, questions and, and, and answers on science, then you're going to be a dinosaur. And what's next for Green Relief and you that we can look forward to and where can we follow you online? Well, uh, what's next for Green Relief? We're expanding, so we're very excited about, uh, we're just uh, taking over a property in uh, kind of East Hamilton, uh, Ontario here, in a uh, 100,000 square foot facility. And we're in the uh, early stages of construction of our 250,000 square foot uh, addition to building one. So between those two buildings, we're looking forward to it, uh, adding about three acres of aquaponic grow to our repertoire of yield and, and number of plants. So we have to scale up because, you know, we're focused uh, on medical and the demand is uh, there for medical and for us it's about science. So we're just going to keep creating science with our cannabis plants and cannabis oils, making sure that we can help our patients and clients get through the day with better quality of life, help people with the medicinal value of this plant. So that's where we're heading and anybody who's interested in getting in touch with Green Relief, you can certainly check us out online at greenrelief.com or greenrelief.ca. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I do my own Twittering. I don't have my media company uh, do it for me. So you can certainly follow me on Twitter. You can just uh, search Warren Bravo or Green Relief. We're also uh, on all of the, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. So if you want to find out what's going on with our company, log on to any of those and you'll be current. But the best information is on our website, not, not particularly pertaining to uh, cannabis uh, so much, but we're trying to just promote a healthy lifestyle and living as well. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to give you a discount code in case you're interested in our 2019 Green Dreamer planners. They feature our major Earth Awareness Days, 101 self-care reminders, gratitude lists, weekly simple suggested actions to take and cross off, minimalist weekly and monthly planning pages, extra bullet journal pages for customization, and more. And again, each planner contributes to the planting of 50 trees through international nonprofit Eden Reforestation Projects. If this sounds like it'd be helpful to you and you want to support Reforestation and Green Dreamer Podcast, just head to greendreamer.com slash planners to see our six beautiful designs and use the code greendreamer for 10% off. Again, that's greendreamer.com com slash planners and discount code green dreamer for now on to our final five let's power through 
What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? We're so nose to the grindstone here. I don't have a lot of time I get for reading for anything uh, uplifting other than I love the interaction with our uh, patients and clients on, on Twitter. I answer all the, any questions uh, people have about uh, our projects and our products and, and our sustainability. Uh, I answer personally, so I really enjoy uh, doing that. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I don't actually have to tell myself anything. It's just through osmosis from the people that I see <laughs> that work here every day uh, with the big smiles on people's faces, knowing that we're the uh, differentiator in the in the marketplace and inspiring is just talking and going to the facility and talking to our staff and uh, client care people. And it's very easy to stay inspired in this, uh, in this industry, especially here at Green Relief. And everybody, uh, as they say, comes to work with a smile on their face. So it rubs off pretty easily. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? Uh, I do a few things, although it may not look like it if you saw a picture of me. I do work out, uh, I go to the gym uh, three times a week, uh, minimum. Uh, try to do it more, but uh, it's a, it is a busy time. My wife uh, is uh, not just a tree hugger and landscape architect, but she's also into the holistic side of life and living. You know, we do uh, take a few uh, natural supplements and just had an annual uh, annual physical the other day and I'm in, uh, I'm in great shape, so I can't complain. Uh, what's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? That focus is an everyday event and occurrence at Green Relief with the uh, upgraded our, our heating hydronic heating system to a, a pellet boiler. And every day we're working towards a zero carbon footprint, not just with the, with the facility, but also with our uh, home as well. Uh, what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, hey, you know, uh, I'm certainly I'm the eternal optimist, and when I look for the good in everything, I'm not pessimist, and I'm not seeing a whole bunch of movement on the side of good these days. Uh, you know, I think people uh, just have to endeavor to do things uh, differently and better, and not be so adverse to to change. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Follow your passions. You know, live life, live like life large, and and uh, as I say, don't uh, stress over things you can't control. That's a huge thing for for has been a big thing for me, and I think that uh, if you can think it, you can do it. Keep positive, and if you want to live a sustainable and healthier lifestyle, just you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a uh, single step, and I think that's uh, should be in everybody's repertoire. And everybody should be living that every single day. Just keep advancing the program. The journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview and the full show notes with links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 104 for episode 104. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Shane and also our new podcast account at greendreamerpodcast. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.